What do you have today, Andrew? I have Project Veritas burning their own tip line. I've got our immediate future, Jeremy, and it's not good. And I've got my Barbie review. Okay, people, let's begin. Lift off! Get up, everybody! Are you ready to be baited with the truth? Good, because you're listening to the Truth Bait Podcast! I'm documentary filmmaker and podcaster Andrew Marcus, and with me always as we deconstruct America's propaganda war and put some truth back into the narrative is the only doctor of cultural analysis who has his own concierge practice. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, give it up for the one and only Rebel Pundit, Jeremy Siegel. Jeremy, we've made it to another episode. It's like you're really getting this intro dialed in, I think. I just like, uh, it's a surprise to me every episode what you're going to be. A doctor of what with what? (laughs) It's like a Mad Lib every episode. (laughs) Yeah, but it's working. It's good. I like it. Thank you. And you're not carrying out the seagull. (laughs) You didn't like that? See, now I'm going to build that back in here. No, I did. I liked it a couple times. long seagull. Okay. A few times it made me feel important. It made me feel like the more important. It got silly. (laughs) That made me feel like the more important host. But then, yeah, it got silly after a while. It was like, yeah, now he's just messing with me. Um, yeah, yeah. No, not messing with you. Just trying to get the feel, Jeremy. Uh, Now you got it. I I think think I do. I agree. Thank you very much. And I agree. I feel like it has. It's hit a rhythm. I've. I've figured out after. 46 episodes plus nine uh, rehearsal episodes, how to time that intro. So, Can I actually call myself a doctor? Like if now that you say I'm a doctor, like if I make a reservation at a restaurant, can I say this is Dr. Siegel? Okay, yes. Although you run the risk of if somebody's choking, you might somebody need to either get, come to their aid or you know, deliver psychological treatment to the uh, people sitting at the table around the person who's choking, you know, if that's the kind of doctor you are. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like the it's like the it's like the uh it's like the minister, you know, doctor so and so at this church, right? Like yes, do Dr. Reverend. Doctor Reverend. Make, that's right. Dr. Reverend make a reservation somewhere and yes, then someone's having a heart attack. I would not put it on and an, I would not put it on an application for a loan. <laughs> Cuz then you might have a problem. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, so uh, this was this has been a busy date. You know Trump was indicted today again. Now he's indicted for January uh, 6th. Ex- Executive producer Ann told me at dinner. I had no idea. Yeah, he's gonna. She's like, "Did you hear Trump got indicted?" I'm like, "Again? Do you think he'll end up at the Gulag?" Uh, You know what I said? Oh well, who cares? (laughs) But so, but hold on a second though. This one, this one's interesting because what has happened to all of the J six defendants? 
They've pretty much all been railroaded, and now Trump is a J6 defendant. Well, I hope they lock him up. They won't. They won't lock him up during trial like they did the other J6 gulag uh, uh, attendees, the people, the poor souls that are trapped there, uh, because they're going to use that to drive a wedge. That you know, they're, you know, Trump doesn't get thrown in the gulag like the rest of us. They're going to try and drive a wedge between him and his supporters with that. The Trump gets special won't treatment. Work. Won't work. But I, I, I'm top level. I really would prefer that we were not in this situation at all, that we weren't in a Marxist America, uh, that the uh, opposition, uh, the establishment opposition wasn't in bed with the establishment of the other side. Uh, I, I wish we were in a much healthier situation. Given how depraved and, and uh, toxic and sick of a situation we're in, I'm kind of of the mind that uh, convicting him and throwing him in jail would be the most honest expression of the state of this disunion. Uh, Yeah. It would be a truth that nobody could ignore. They're going to let him go. Right, after the election. And they're going to let Hunter Biden go. Absolutely. And then, I agree. And then everybody <laughs> and then everybody can be friends. Everybody will be even. And they'll yep, use it'll be all, all even this, Steven. All the all the, the trials and any convictions, it will all be used as the plausible context for why he lost instead of the rigging of the election that we all know is coming. Yeah. I'd Yeah, it's uh Yeah, I would say the Country is a joke. Well, and everybody should hear the laughter. <laughs> hey, uh, <laughs> this you mentioned you saw it on Gateway Pundit. Here's the clip that was up on Gateway Pundit. Larry Kudlow reacting. He makes a, an interesting point. We are potentially going to see uh, the former President Trump uh, be indicted yet again uh, by the special counsel. Larry? I, I got a thought. I appreciate the report very much. I just have a thought. Yeah. One reason that this is coming out today is because former Hunter Biden best friend forever, Devin Archer, did his deposition yesterday and talked about the Hunter family brand, which is an influence peddling brand. Just let's just hang on a second. You know, they do this every time something bad happens. They come up with it. Did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait a second. Yesterday and talked about the Hunter family brand, which is an influence peddling brand. Just let's just hang on a second. <laughs> so he's got his, the control room and is in his is in his ear telling him, no, 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 no. Stop. Don't say stop that. You yeah, can't right. talk about the family brand, <laughs> which is an influence peddling brand. Just let's just hang on a second. You know, they do this every time something bad happens. They come up with another indictment. March 16th. Uh, Jamie Comer reveals Biden's family payments. Then a few weeks later, April 4th, Trump's New York criminal indictment. That was the Alvin Bragg fiasco. Then later in the spring, June 8th, Republican views Biden's bribery 1023 form. Okay, the GOP unleashed that. The next day on the 9th, we had Trump's classified documents indictment about Mar-a-Lago. 
in the summertime. Just a few days ago, July 26th, we get the Hunter plea deal blows up in Wilmington, Delaware. And guess what? All of a sudden, Trump has to face additional charges from Jack Smith about uh, covering up tapes and having the maintenance guy. I mean, come on. Yesterday's t uh, deposition was very devastating for the Bidens. So today, all of a sudden, lo and behold, they're going to come up with some makeup indictment uh, for January 6th that will hold absolutely no legal water. I guarantee it. Anyway, that's my well, hypothesis. That's my hypothesis. I, I, uh, it sounds about right. Yeah. Narrative hardball. Uh, we mentioned Hunter. Um, so Hunter's... This is, I think, this is a show, too. <laughs> You've got Hunter's ex-business partner, Devin Archer, who came and, and gave closed-door testimony to the House. And I, I'm just waiting for this to, uh, to be nothing, <laughs> right? <laughs> now, Yeah, right. But it, a little something did come out, and they sent out Dan Goldman, Democrat. <laughs> they sent him out. They must hate him. They must hate Dan yeah. Goldman. You could see how much he was squirming. He, he's selling an impossible lie. This is from outside uh, the hearing room, uh, just after the testimony. And you're going to hear there's two. You're going to hear the sound quality changes in the middle of this. That's because I've taken two clips that I found online from different sources and pieced them together to show uh, a little more context of the interaction. We just finished the two hours of Republican questioning. Um, and I think it is safe to say that after yet another two hours, there still is no connection of any of Hunter Biden's business dealings with President Biden. Approximately 20 times over the course of 10-year relationship, um, Hunter may have put his father uh, on the, the phone with any number of different people. Hunter spoke with his father every day. Any number of different people. It could have been a waiter. It could have been a bellboy. <laughs> it could have been. Yeah, uh, this is the <laughs> this is the did not inhale argument. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> and you can see him. He he can't even sell it. He doesn't. You can see he doesn't believe it. He can't believe what he's out there selling. Hunter spoke with his father every day, and would often put his father occasionally would put his father on to say hello to who uh, how about that little flub <laughs> he yeah often put his father uh, uh, occasionally put his father on hunter spoke with his father every day and would often put his father occasionally would put his father on to say hello to whomever he happened to be caught at dinner with and mr archer clarified that was sometimes people that they were having you know, they were trying to do business with, and it was sometimes friends or other social engagements. I mean, notice how he starts the entire comment. We just finished the two hours of Republican questioning, um, and I think it is safe to say that after yet another two hours, there still is no connection of any of Hunter Biden's business dealings with President Biden. And then he proceeds to tell you all of the connections that were... <laughs> That were revealed between Hunter Biden. And now is that <laughs> is that an admit is that an admittance that Hunter Biden's business dealings were criminal or illegal or wrong? No, 
not in not at least in terms of what he's talking about the entire narrative surrounding what Devin Archer testified to that has come out thus far is about these phone calls that that Hunter was on we don't know when the phone calls were uh, although he Dan Goldman makes it sound like it was over the course of 10 years which would put some of them inside the vice presidency so um but we don't know we don't know but what you do know is that they're spinning like crazy. <laughs> they're spinning like tops. <laughs> so there's, maybe there's no smoke to what Devin Archer is saying, but these guys are spinning so hard, the smoke is coming up off of them. Uh, yeah. They look genuinely uncomfortable with all of this, and they're squirming. Are uh, Republican allegations that the uh, Bidens received money through uh, shell companies, did uh, Archer talk about those? Did he verify those allegations? Um. There was, there is no evidence uh, that anyone other than Hunter Biden received any money in connection with the business transactions with Devin Archer. So, so to confirm, you're saying that the speakerphone conversation... And by the way, notice what he did there. That was very slick. He narrowed it at the very end. See if you catch it. That anyone other than Hunter Biden received any money in connection with the business transactions with Devin Archer. So he's now he's only talking about the business transactions that involve Devin Archer. But that doesn't mean yeah. that he that Devin Archer only testified to the business transactions that directly involved him. Right. Devin Archer was his best friend. They they uh, well, uh, sorry, the way that Hunter described him at one point in life was my best friend in business. They met in Yale, which is also why I'm not so quick to just uh, uh, trust anything that uh, trust the intentions of Devin Archer is like some sort of hero who's going to come right. forward and tell the truth. Yeah, right. So, so to confirm, you're saying that the speakerphone conversations they don't seem concerning to you because there is no specifics about business, and it just seemed like it they was were clear about that it was clear that that it was as part of the daily conversations that Hunter Biden had with his father. Um, and it was, and, and sounds like most of the time, uh, now President Biden didn't even know who the people he was at dinner. He was just asked to say hello. Uh, and he would, you know, talk about the, the way, he described it several times. They asked over and over and over. He described what the weather was, how, uh, how, what's going on on your end. It's at that moment I'm thinking he's going to say yada, yada, yada. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, we're talking about the weather, yada, yada, yada. One thing leads to another. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, talk about the, the way he described it several times. They asked over and over and over. He described what the weather was, how, uh, how, what's going on on your end. He, the, the witness was very... What does that mean? What's going on on your end? Sounds to me like the weather might have been some code talk. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, how's the weather over there? Oh, it's cloudy today, which, as you recall, means I will take $10 million deposited <laughs> into my Swiss bank account. <laughs> How many slices of pizza does that equal? <laughs> What's the that pizza conversion rate? <laughs> 16 slices, and you know what that means. It's sunny today. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, wow. <laughs> very consistent that none of those conversations 
ever had to do with any business dealings or transactions. So uh, on Fox News, Jonathan Turley had a response to Dan Goldman, which I thought was worth clipping because it, it pretty much makes the point. These are accounts of almost two dozen calls made with these associates, some of whom are the most corrupt figures in Europe. Uh, where the vice president would call in. That's the point of influence peddling. When Archer says that he was there to sell the brand, the brand is influence peddling. And Joe Biden is the object of that influence peddling. And so you need to show that you will have access, that he's just a phone call away. Representative Goldman made the sound like... That was a very important point that he didn't need to talk about anything it was just proof of concept <laughs> was, right. hey, you're buying my access to my dad i'm going to represent you to my dad who i can reach at any moment and i can even get him on the phone right now i can he can walk up to this table and say hello that's the cell that's all you need representative goldman made the sound like he was calling his son's travel soccer team I mean, these were almost two dozen calls uh, with these corrupt business figures from Ukraine, Russia, uh, and, and, uh, and China. And the president called to show that he was part of the brand. Now, that begs the question. Here comes Neil Cavuto with, at, at, at face value, it sounds like he is defending, he's taking the, de, he's representing the defense of Biden. Now, that begs the question. And more than just devil's advocate. Now, that begs the question. We know the son was trying to leverage that relationship with the father. I think that's pretty clear, though I'm not a lawyer. The, the leap here is to say that the father was getting something out of it in, in participating if he knew he was participating. Do you think Joe Biden knew he was participating, leaving aside the far more explosive insinuation that he might have been profiting, which we can't prove yet. In the face, Neil, Neil Cavuto called it a leap. <laughs> I just don't think it's much of a leap. That's why I feel like he's uh, sympathetic to the defense, the, uh, the compartmentalization of, the, uh, of what is happening here, that this is just about Hunter Biden and that dad is just hapless and loves his son and was taken advantage of again by his uh, his wayward son. I think that it, it's the assumption is that he knew exactly what these meetings were about. I, I just, uh, it's just strange credulity that he flies to China with his son and doesn't ask once. By the way, where are you going to go in China? You know, what are the? Are you doing business here? Hmm. Uh, that he makes. Yeah, he just opens the door to Air Force Two, <laughs> and let's let's Hunter out <laughs> like he's a dog. <laughs> yeah. Hunter runs <laughs> off down the tarmac. Come back by eleven. <laughs> I wonder what he must have been something important. <laughs> Did Hunter come back like with mud all over him <laughs> and matted hair? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh, ew. All these calls to these to dinners with foreign characters, and he doesn't say who were those guys. Uh, why were you meeting? Uh, it just it just not very believable. Yeah, that's right. It's not very believable. I'm gonna I'm gonna amend my prediction uh, that you and I had earlier. I think Hunter may actually see the inside of a club fed. And the person, this is about getting Biden out before the election and uh, uh, 
so Joe is the one who's not going to go to prison. Joe's not going to suffer any real ramifications. He's just going to be out. Hunter will suffer some ramifications. And I continue to agree with you that Trump will not see uh, the inside of a jail cell. I don't see how he could. I think you would just have uh, more chaos than they are interested in having. No, they just want to stop him this one last time he doesn't have another run in him he doesn't have he's you know just seem to be it would seem to be easier to steal the election again i think this is part of stealing it this is part of stealing it this is this is it creates the cloud around him so they can say of course he lost right yeah i agree uh just a little bit more of the He was squirt. the worst candidate ever. Right. He didn't have a chance. You can't run a candidate that's in all this legal problem. Right. Exactly. And, yeah. and, the, and frankly, and the, the, GOP the, the GOP establishment is fine is with gonna, that. Right. right. They, they the get to say, see, we were be, right. right. They're going to say, see, we were right. Yeah. You know, and uh, you needed to go with Romney. You guys didn't go with Romney. <laughs> we're going to make you pay. <laughs> Ramaswamy. <laughs> yeah. Romney Swami. Romney Swami. <laughs> <laughs> Show title. <laughs> Romney Swami. Okay. Um, so on CNN, they were the, the squirm was, was palpable, and they are... They're just trying to turn it any way that they can. Here, uh, this is, um, well, here, I'll play it. You, you may have heard this. It's gone fairly viral. but And everybody's welcome to make their own personal judgments on, on the Biden, but it is, it is frankly... Um, they- oh, the first voice you're hearing is the, is the liberal, the Democrat who's defending Biden. And you can hear in his voice, his voice is cracking. He, he misspeaks a couple of times. Listen closely. And everybody's welcome to make their own personal judgments on, on the Biden. But it is, it is frankly, um, they, are a fam- they are a family, a real family with real feelings, with real struggles and challenges, like every family. And I guarantee you that the more that the Republicans make this an issue, it will not work. Voters appreciate, well, voters relate to having struggles in their own families. They root for people with vulnerability. Jeremy, can you relate to one of your children uh, taking money from, from a Chinese oligarch or uh, from a Ukrainian oil company? You can relate to that, can't you? It happens. It happens. Yeah, I don't even have a cousin somewhere that's done that. <laughs> You, are you saying you can't relate to this is not something that relates to anything your any of your lived experience? I can certainly relate to having some trouble in the family, having some family members in trouble doing things they shouldn't be doing, even myself. Done a few things I shouldn't have done. Did your family members uh, suffer the suffer ramifications because of it? You know, I think most families, there's been some heartache and pain going around, but I don't know if that brings uh, brings it full circle to to this type of situation where the, these guys are using their influence in the government and breaking the law left and right, 
and then saying, well, everybody has trouble in their family. Wait, wait, wait. wait. For cash flow from international (laughs) criminals, (laughs) okay? Right, yeah. (laughs) I mean, sure, everybody's got a family where some, uh, you know, Uncle Jimmy got a DUI. (laughs) I mean, that's somebody was a drug bust. Well, this guy is right. This guy's right about that, but it's not going to bring the... uh, relatability factor around <laughs> to what he what he's claiming it will be abilities <laughs> uh. they root for people who understand and relate to them and you know ultimately the bidens are a real family just like everyone else sure uh, <laughs> yeah a real family like everyone else who's got seven grandchildren it only just recently acknowledged the last one yeah <laughs> just like every other family or um uh, but Scott Jennings, the president has made being a family man yeah. a central part of his political identity. Uh, it's not Republicans. With- so now we're talking about Biden's family man image, which that's a real mm-hmm. sleight of hand narratively. We're no longer talking about whether or not he is connected, connected to Hunter's business, his, his crooked business, which was all predicated upon selling access to him. No, now we're talking about Hunter and and Joe Biden as a family man. With all due respect, who made Hunter Biden into a complete scumbag? Here, let me, another, let me. Uh, it's not Republicans, with all due respect, who made Hunter Biden into a complete scumbag on this and other issues. The, the ignoring his own daughter the, for four years and the president of the United States hanging up a stocking for the dog I mean, the and not for his seventh grandchild. <laughs> okay, look, okay, can all, we can all- that is really cold. That is so cold. Well, it's not like now, it just, that, I, now that's something people can relate to. Yeah, there, are pe- there are more people now that care about their dogs more than their own kids. That, yes, but, but hold on a second. How many of them do that on international television <laughs> and make it part of the propaganda campaign? <laughs> yeah. Also have some, we can also have sympathy for people who are struggling with addiction. Let's right. keep this conversation right. respectful. I, 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 listen. I, I totally agree. And you know where I'm from? A lot of families deal with addiction. And you know who ends up picking up the pieces? The grandparents. And in this case, the grandparents would not acknowledge this little girl. It is offensive. But the bottom line... That was such a good answer. Yeah. That was a really good answer. I, 10 out of 10, I give that answer. Is what they have now. Yeah. The poll. Oh, what a hero. The polling must have been yeah, brutal. Just the polling sure must have been brutal. No one ever questioned around. the heart and integrity of Joe Biden as a family man <laughs> and as a human being and the pain <laughs> and suffering and loss that, that man has been through. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the show, the show goes on. Yeah. That's yeah, good. So Project Veritas. Oh, I'm sorry. You were going to say? No, it's it's worthy of sitting down with a bag of popcorn at this point <laughs> and just watching it all unfold. I like mine with M and M's. You got to be able to not get upset about this stuff because it's again, it's it doesn't matter. It's all. However, they're rolling any of this out is designed to upset you. And it's supposed to upset you. You're out of control. You don't have any control over this. None of us have any None. control over what is transpiring. So you might nope. as well sit back. At least 
release yourself of the angst that there's something you can do about it. Because <laughs> right now, there is, it's clear there is not. Sit back with a bag of $25 popcorn. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> there, I, that, oh, you want to hear my Barbie review now? Do you want to hear Barbie? Or do you want to hear what Project Veritas did? Well, you already started Veritas, you, and it ties into Biden, right? So let's go with that. <clears throat> well... Yeah, it does tie into Biden because uh, Project Veritas released a video. This is now, this is, again, this is not James O'Keefe's Project Veritas. This is Hannah Giles' Project Veritas. And uh, they released a video that shows beyond all doubt that uh, the, 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 uh, the Ashley Biden diary that Project Veritas came in possession of and led to an FBI raid of James O'Keefe's home and a couple of their journalists um, in it, just the most disgusting violation of First Amendment rights since it, since at least Obama's first uh, or second term. Um, and uh, uh, well, here, I'll play the, the first I'll play the video, uh, the audio of Ashley Biden confirming that that these that the contents are hers. Hi, is this Ashley Biden? This is she. How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, I just wanted. So I heard you have. Uh... How awkward was that intro? By the way, <laughs> she asks, yeah. "How are you doing?" I'm doing well. I don't know. There's something about that that is just so bizarre. It's like the, it's the beginning of of a different conversation than the one that then unfolds. This is she. How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, I just wanted, so I heard you have um, a few of my belongings, um, and so I was going to ask if it would, if you could please meet my friend, Eric, who is down in Delray, if you could meet him and get, and get this up to him. I don't want to have to get Secret Service involved in this, right, because it's just, it's a whole process, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I am Ashley Biden, it is my stuff, so if you could just give all of that over i would really appreciate it i know you sent a picture to my husband with a camera <clears throat> and mm -hmm. a few other things that are mine as well so that would be really great so okay that's that is the first time anybody's hearing that i think who's never the guy that before one of the it's whoever somebody working with project veritas okay um I would assume back when James was, uh, James must have been part of the filming of that particular clip, is my guess. Okay. Uh, and that's interesting, but to me, that is not what jumped out at me. What jumped out at me was this. What you're about to hear has never been released to the public. This voicemail was left on the Project Veritas tip line on September 3rd, 2020 which led our journalists to investigate the matter of Ashley Biden's diary, thrusting us into a pivotal moment of history for all of press freedom. Hi there, I'm calling from Florida. My family, their friend who owns a house down here in Palm Beach was renting it out. I don't know how, but this is a while back. But anyway, somebody, a new renter moved in and Ashley Biden was staying in this room and they found her diary, all their clothes, luggage, pills. Anyway, um, diary is pretty crazy. Um, I think it's worth taking a look at. It's not a joke. It's real. And um, I'd love to get it into your hands. 
So to me, that sounds like Project Veritas burning its own tip line. Who yeah. is going to call and leave a tip, a recorded tip on a tip line for them after that? I wouldn't. When I call to whistleblow on you, Jeremy, <laughs> I'd be worried you'd find out. <laughs> yeah, I would recognize your voice. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and uh, I think it isn't just it doesn't just burn Project Veritas's tip line. I think it burns James's tip line. Maybe, but he's. He's not the one that released it. Correct, but he was unable to protect it because they knocked him out. Well, so that's it, true. It's clearly but... not his fault, but does that enter into the calculation of somebody who's going to call and leave a message on a tip line? Maybe, but he kept it protected the whole time he was there and in charge. So... I mean, his track record's pretty good as far as that goes. But I see your point. I mean, it definitely, I mean, you would, I mean, that lady's not going to call back with another tip. <laughs> Why would Hannah do that? <laughs> Why would they do that? Okay, I, I, I get that it shows once and for all that they didn't steal anything, that this was something that was given to them and came through the tip line. Okay, great. But that because because Project Veritas in its new state of existence is amateur hour. That would be the charitable explanation. <laughs> the the cynical explanation would be that they're burning they're burning James. They're burning it down. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's just stupid. Yeah, you may be right. That's think Occam's it, razor. I don't, I don't I think it's stupid. I don't know that it hurts James. I think James can. I mean, James did protect the, protect it while he was there. Now he's gone. He's got no control anymore. It's another reason why the it it proves how stupid the board of directors is over there, or how much they wanted to take him out, how badly they wanted to take him out at any expense, and they don't care about anything. And Ugh. Hannah, I think, is stupid. Well, it's definitely not. She's stupid for taking the job. She shouldn't have gone there. And, and she she should have stayed at her own little organization down in Texas that was doing nothing. Or she should have partnered with James after they tossed him out. James and right, Hannah and together again. Back. That would have been huge. Yeah. Well, well, more more popcorn. <laughs> I just I think it's a bad move. I think it's uh, definitely a bad move. It's definitely a bad move. And why unless now? The, like, what was unle- the imperative of unless, doing it now? Unless they unless they got unless they got her permission. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's possible. But they don't say that they did. No, but they, it's possible they could have, and we don't know that. Yeah, yeah, okay, you're right. You're right. But the well, but but more important than that is the impression that this leaves. <laughs> the impression it leaves is if you leave a tip, you could end up being blasted out. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. Don't I would never. Name. I would never release don't anything your name off the, on tip, the tip line, line. ever. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> or I would. I would call in with a with a you know. Uh, let me see if I can. You know, like some sort of a uh, some sort of a voice changer. If there's a. Uh, I don't have. Oh, I don't know if I can do Hello, it. Hello, right. I have <laughs> Ashley Biden's diary here. That's right. <laughs> um, can you come and pick it up? I think it's very important. <laughs> exactly. So then, no one would have known. Nobody would have known that was me. <laughs> I think that's the only. That's the only solution. Um. Well. I mean, I, well, and then it's like, why didn't they disguise, disguise the voice? I mean, James did that a million times in, in a lot of their releases. They would always have a whistleblower or some witness or something like that, and you black out their face and use a disguised voice. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, unless they got, maybe they did get her permission, but I don't know. It does seem strange. Uh, let's do a quick election 24 update and then we can wrap up, uh, political stuff like this. Um, here is from the YouTube channel, black guns matter. I want to ask you about the, what's that? I know this guy. Do you? Black guns matter. Okay. Well, I don't know, no, but I interviewed him a long time ago at the DNC. One time I met this guy was had black guns matter shirt on. And uh, yeah, his name was Maj Touré. Is that yes, the same guy in this yeah. yeah. Wow, good memory. That's not an easy name to memorize. After all this time, it must he must have made an impression. Listen to it. I'm glad you. I'm glad you are uh, predisposed to hear this man's words, Jeremy. He's talking to you. I want to ask you about the fact that you're running for the Democratic nomination, and 77 percent of Democrats support an assault weapons ban. Do you not support an assault weapons ban? If we can get a consensus on it, if Republicans and Democrats agreed to it and it passed Congress, I would sign it. What's up, solutionaries? Maj Touré here. You just saw RFK having a town hall discussion um, where he yet again talks about his anti-gun position. Now, Maj is mostly right. I've told y'all for the last few months, this guy is just an anti-gun Democrat. Why on earth so many libertarians, as you guys know, I'm a libertarian. Why so many libertarians are enamored with him is falls into usually two categories. One, he's been very critical of the COVID regime, uh, as well as the vaccines and critical of Fauci. This Just because he speaks well about the you know, jab and big pharma does not mean we get to ignore his very unconstitutional take. And in that video right there, you also saw if he was presented with a assault weapons ban, so-called assault weapons ban, that's a made up term, that if it got through Congress somehow, Republicans and Democrats would actually concede and agree on this. If he was the president, if it got to his desk, he would absolutely sign it. This goes in alignment with the unconstitutional concept. He's saying, I would, as opposed to saying, no, I wouldn't. It's unconstitutional. It's very simple. Passing the buck in that way by saying, if the Republicans and Democrats came to a consensus and then they agreed and they put it in front of me, I would violate the Constitution because that's in essence what's being said. The whole thing being, we have a Constitution, we have human rights that are codified as checks on the government. 
Okay? The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not, oh, when a bunch of people somehow agree to this because they don't understand the Constitution, they don't understand the purpose of the founding document, so forth and so on. A president's job is to defend the Constitution and keep us out of wars. I don't think he'll do that. And he clearly has told us in direct terms through tweets, as well as indirect terms through vague speech, that in position he would be okay with violating the Constitution, which is the, is the other part of the job, um, as the commander-in-chief. So uh, this RFK thing is an absolute bust. There are plenty of other candidates that you could look into. It's also important for us to make sure that we're looking into local and state candidates to make sure that we're building from the ground up. I really like that last comment, especially. The local races are more important. It's true. The local races are more important. Um, well, I, I mean, I agree with him on most most of what he says. I don't know what the, what other candidates he's talking about that there are to look at. They all <laughs> Trump. They all they all violate the Constitution. Even Trump, like I mean, you 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 you. It's way too much to ask for a president that will actually understand their role in defense of the Constitution. They all say they're the most their their job is to keep us safe. They always say it. That's their number one priority. Their number one job is to keep us safe and keep everybody safe. And Trump said it. None of them say our number one job is to defend and protect the Constitution. As far as Bobby Kennedy goes. I disagree with with him on that point. Uh, I disagree with Maj on his point saying, you know, you can't just overlook it. Uh, yeah, I don't think you overlook it, but he's got a lot of other good positions. Guess who else would sign that bill if it was given to him? Joe Biden. Well, Guess who else would sign that bill if it was given to him? Barack Obama. Yeah. So now you're okay, going to, are you they, leading up to, to say Donald Trump would too? No, I'm saying that bill isn't coming. That's <laughs> a safe, that's a safe play. That's a oh, safe play for, oh, I don't know that's, that that's a safe true. play for, that's a safe play for Bobby Kennedy to say that to appease Democrat voters, I think. Well, but even then it's, it's pandering to a notion of uh, uh, abusing the constitution. He, yeah, they uh, all do that. So I just want to make. I just want to recap between our last episode and this episode. Now, you, you, and your large family are part of the overpopulation problem. All right, which is that's a real fun thing for him to have basically cast upon you, and uh, it's because of your religious, your 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 faith. <laughs> that's the, I mean, now he's going to come take the guns if he's given the opportunity. He doesn't have the impulse to say no. He's going to take them. I don't know, man. I don't I'd, know. I'd I'd take him over any other Republican. Yeah, that makes still, that might still be true. <laughs> yeah, well, Trump's There's not, not I'm is not Trump voting really a Republican? I'm not vote I'm not voting for Republicans anymore. I'm not doing it. I will not. Do I, I'm it. with you. No more. I will not ever vote for an establishment. I'm not. Candidate. The whole. The whole reason everything that's going on right now is going on because of Republicans. But he. Not he may, Kennedy might be an establishment figure in Trump clothing. 
That's what I think you have to look out for. Fine. Then I'm still strategically going for him and not Republicans. I, I don't. The Republican Party has to die. I don't mean we have to go out and physically make <laughs> them did, die. It did already. I they're, mean, they're walking around with the with the carcass. No, on. <laughs> they're not. They're walking around with an immense amount of power. No, they're I walking know. I'm around just saying with the power they... of the purse and the Congress, and they're still doing the same thing that they always do. So, where I agree a hundred percent with uh, Maj Touré, there is you got you have to look at local elections. That's why I I. I ran for local office last year. I ran for the county board in my county. And uh, it's a, that's a nonpartisan race. And your printer didn't I ran work against, on election day, did it? No, I ran against <laughs> I mean, a no. <laughs> Republican. I ran against I ran against a Republican. And and uh You fought the law and the Law one. No, she won. Yeah, <laughs> she she she's been in there forever and been unopposed. But, but I you did get force it next her. Time. You may get her next time. I for I forced her to go campaign. She had been run unopposed for years, and she had to go out and stick signs up. And she's okay. Like I was running for different reasons, but the, you but, didn't. But did you not, not want specifically, to win? No, I wanted to win, but I, but I, but I wanted to, I wanted to just set an example that people need should get out if you're able to go run for local office. And not everybody needs to run for office. You can participate in local government without being elected. Uh, the local politicians well, are easy to reach. You can usually get their cell phone numbers, and they pick up the phone when you call them. Those people have a lot more control over your day to day life and the freedom that you have, you know, in the local uh, municipality that you live in. So, so I agree with him there. And in and in a lot of cases, you don't have to vote for a Republican, even if the guy who you're voting for is a Republican. It may be a nonpartisan race. I'm not voting Republican anymore. I'm done with Republicans. Uh, one la- I, I know I said that that was going to be the last thing, but I have one more thing. This came in from Al and Joliet, and it's related. Big Al. Big Al and Joliet sent us this clip from Joe Rogan talking with comedian Jim Gaffigan. Yeah. Uh, Oh, wait, no, wait, did this one come from Al? No, hold on a second. This one, sorry, this one did not come from Big Al. That is, I have something else from Big Al. This one comes from a new producer. (laughs) And I don't know, this one's a little interesting. This one comes under the name Suspect 68 in Regions Unknown. (laughs) So, Suspect 68... And given the nature of this clip, I'm wondering if this is somebody who was involved in January 6th and it was, was, was suspect 68. I don't know. The, I, this clip, the, the email that this came in with did not have a, uh, a federal penitentiary extension. But uh, yeah, here's Joe Rogan talking to comedian Jim Gaffigan about January 6th. The January 6th thing is bad, but also the intelligence agencies were involved in provoking people to go into the Capitol building. That's a fact. You, so wait a minute. You're, you're saying that that guy, what's his name? Ray Epps. Yeah, you really think that he I was, don't know. 
I don't know, but I do know that I think every that's other parent. I think he's going to sue Fox. I think every other person who was involved in January 6th, who was involved in coordinating uh, a break-in into the Capitol and in instigating people breaking, they were all arrested. This guy wasn't. Not only that, they were defending him in the New York Times, the Washington Post, all these different things, because saying that Fox News is unjustly accused him of instigating. Well, he clearly instigated. He yeah, did no, it on camera. I don't know if he was a Fed. I know a lot of people think he was a Fed. The people that were there were calling him a Fed. What I do know is when they asked the FBI, the FBI said, we can't tell you whether or not there were people that were there that were doing that. Now, there's been reports that there was hundreds of agents that were there that were doing that. I don't know if that's true either. But I do know that they do use agent provocateurs to disrupt peace, peaceful protests. It's a, a common tactic. What they do is say if there's a um, – like the World Trade Organization is a great example. And that was in, I think, the 90s in Seattle. And so what they did was they were protesting the World Trade Organization. They were doing it peacefully. It was a big problem. So what they did is they sent in, allegedly, agent provocateurs. They started smashing buildings and yeah. lighting things on fire. Led by who? Trivia. Led by Le who? Le Lisa Fithian. Lisa Fithian, who we've covered many times on this podcast. She is the one of the lead organizers of the anarchists. We have had many encounters with her on the streets in, in the years of our documentation of street movements. Um, yeah, she's... Uh, that's definitely... I, I, that's exactly right. That is... She would be brought in for the chaos. She even admits, I, I'm who you bring in when you're looking for bolt cutters. She's a nice lady. Yeah. You could not cross with a pin that was against the... Oh, wait, so hold on. It's going to be... Reconnect where I was. Now they can bring in the police. Now they can start arresting people. And then they created a no protest zone where literally if you had a pin on your jacket that was the WTO with a red line through it, they would not let you cross. You could not cross with a pin that was against the WTO and, and go to work. There was a no protest zone. So they, they, they silenced protest, which is right. a part of our freedom of speech. So this is a tactic that some government agencies uh, use okay, to stop okay, but, but peaceful wait a protests. All right, so That's absolutely correct. Uh, doesn't that sound like exactly like what happened on January 6th? Yeah, pretty much. I don't know where Fithian was, but I'm sure that a lot of the people there know who Fithian is, studied under her. She was probably there. She might have been. I think it's a standard tactic, especially when someone is the enemy of the intelligence agencies. With Trump, that's absolutely the case. Trump set himself up against the intelligence agencies. He did it openly and he did it brazenly. And a, a lot of people think it's very dangerous. Like the intelligence agencies are very important. You know, you want to find out what's going on in other countries. You want to find out what the threats to America are. You want to find out what terrorist activities are going to be taking place and stop them before. And, you know, JFK you, had his problem with the intelligence yeah, agencies. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, look, it's unchecked power, right? It's That's the deep state. It's unchecked power. And I think Trump was very open about his disdain for the intelligence agencies. He created enemies in the intelligence agencies. It's standard for intelligence agencies in this country to encourage agent provocateurs or to employ agent provocateurs. And so you're saying when he was in Helsinki and he was saying, I believe Putin more than 
my intelligence community, that was something the intelligence community was like, we're going to get him. Well, I think they were going to get him in any way that they could because he's an enemy of the intelligence agencies. And he was openly talking about them being incompetent and being corrupt. And, he, you know, he fired Comey and, you know, he was against the FBI. And, you know, look, it's a very dangerous thing. You talk to people that are intelligence agencies. Like, it's a very dangerous thing for a president to be at war with the intelligence agencies and to do it so publicly. And I think it's with without a doubt when you have a gigantic massive protest that a lot of people think is a threat to democracy you have these people that are saying the election was rigged and they're on the capitol lawn they're screaming and yelling i don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that they would encourage people to do things that were unlawful instead of peacefully protesting which is what everybody was doing on the outside which is totally legal to take that and escalate it to entering into the Capitol. Now you can lock things down, and now you have real clear evidence that this president is responsible for this insurrection attempt, and this is dangerous, this is a threat to our democracy, and he's never going to be president again, we're going to indict him, we're going to go after him, we're going to do all these different things. So, thank, first of all, thank you to Suspect68 in Regions Unknown for sending that in, and he sent this comment with it, which I thought was very interesting. He says, Joe Rogan saying January 6th was a hoax comes at an interesting time as his contract is about to expire. And he is, yeah, he's coming to the end. His deal is up this year. Uh, it was a three and a half year deal for $200 million, $200 million for three and a half years at Spotify. Um, which I think is actually a really interesting point to make that, that, uh, that Joe is, you know, planting this, he's, he's saying things that are guaranteed to be extremely provocative, uh, which anybody in his position would be doing that. Um, uh, is that because he's not going to get renewed or because he, he thinks that'll help him get renewed? Well, even if he, it, it would work either way. Wouldn't it? It, it he it's you know they they Spotify just laid off a bunch of people, especially in their podcasting uh, and in their acquisitions departments. So I have a feeling that they're it's possible that they are cutting everything else so that they can afford to renew his contract. They'd be crazy to let him go. So yeah, they'd be better off to get rid of every other podcast and keep him and just be the yes. Joe Rogan. Joe Roganify. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, so, or and 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 truth bait. They should keep truth bait. Well, they can afford us. <laughs> <laughs> they don't pay us anything. <laughs> that would be like taking corporate sponsorship, and we don't do that. Uh, I had that would have been the best transition right into the ask. But I, I have another yeah, point that I want to make with this though, which is. <laughs> When you're listening to that, does that sound at all like that appearance that Jon Stewart did on the Colbert show when he was basically giving every, or was it Colbert? I think it was Colbert, where he was basically giving permission to yeah. the narrative for everybody that the virus came from a lab, that the lab leak theory mm -hmm. is true. I, I, for a second there, I couldn't help but feel like I was getting a little bit of the same thing here, where we're getting 
permission now in popular culture to go ahead and, and agree that yeah, there was definitely edge. There were fed agitators going on outside the outside. Who was January he talking? Who was he talking to? Uh, comedian Jim Gaffigan. Oh, the guy sounded like Jake Tapper. Oh, that's um, interesting. But anyways, yes, I thought if it's Tapper, then maybe you're really onto something there. But I would, I think you're right. It could be, except Rogan's already gone too far off the reservation. I think for that sort of thing to be coming through him, like if it was John Stewart or like Bill Maher or somebody, then I would tend to think. That makes you know that's more of a possibility where there's going to be a a narrative shift toward the truth for some sort of advantageous gain, you know, of the deep state. Uh, so you think truth's finally coming out, but there's diff- there's a different motive or reason why behind it. Uh, but maybe, no, well, maybe I just need my tinfoil hat. It's possible. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. He seems like he's probably on the level. Um, Yeah, so that would have been the perfect time when we were talking about how Spotify doesn't pay us uh, for you can you can get us on Spotify, but no, we do not. We don't want you to be confused. It is we did not sell out to Spotify, and the reason is because we don't do that. And we've reached the point in the program where we're going to tell you how it is we do things here. What's that, Jeremy? What were you saying? What do you mean we don't do that? We don't take money from Spotify. We we, we certainly have not solicited Spotify. Let's put it that way. Are you saying that if Spotify offered us $200 million for three and a half years, but we had to go behind a paywall and we had to face their restrictions and get their labels. Every time Joe Rogan talks about COVID, they put a label up on his episode. Is that what you're really will, you're willing to sell out? Every time we talk about COVID, they put a warning label on it. Do they? And we don't get paid. <laughs> so yeah, I'd sell out a heartbeat. <laughs> Lay right. it on me. I'll take the $200 million. can help a lot of people out with that money. Well, so the way we do it now, though, because we haven't been offered that money, so this this moral dilemma does not yet present itself. Uh, we work on the value for value system. If you find that our program is bringing value to you, is it helping you make sense of this crazy propaganda war that we are all subject to? If you're getting value from this, we ask that you return value to the podcast, much like uh, Suspect 68 in Regions Unknown did, sending us this Joe Rogan clip. I'm, I'm thinking his next email is going to be a GoFundMe page for his legal defense. <laughs> Go sick. And Suspect68, next time you want to send a tip, just call in, leave a voicemail, and we'll play your voice, and everyone will know who you are. <laughs> Uh, you have to, yeah, but you have to get him, get his hands on some helium or something to to change his voice. Uh, uh, but that's exactly what uh, that's that's a good piece of value. You know, sending us content is is maybe one of the most important pieces of value. Uh, Jeremy, as always, what is the most important thing someone can do to return value to the show? Share the show. That's Send exactly right. 
everyone you know, even your first grade teacher. You never know. <laughs> if they're still alive, they might like the show. Uh, yes, share the show. Uh, go to Apple Podcasts because you can leave a comment about the show at Apple Podcasts, and you can rate the show. You go to Apple Podcasts, you scroll down to the bottom of our show page, and that's where they have, you'll see the five stars. You click on the one all the way to the right. It gives us the appropriate number of stars that we deserve, five stars, and you can leave a comment there, and that is very helpful for people who are finding us on Apple Podcasts. I wish all of the uh, podcast applications had the ability to do that, but as far as I know, really only Apple does. Uh, so that's where we ask people to go. Also, write us at truth at truthbait.com, where you can send us excellent content like uh, Suspect 68 did, and uh, Al from Joliet did send us other content, which I have uh, something coming up in the next segment. And um, you can also subscribe to our soon-to-be-in-existence email list. Uh, just put subscribe in the subject line, and you will be added. Um, yeah, Al sent in... Al sent in a number of things. Um, this one was just an interesting... This was an interesting piece from... Let's see. Ford is set to lose $4.5 billion on electric vehicles this year. And that's after they lost $2.1 billion just on the... On the on their model, let's see. Oh, yeah, on their Model E's. That's what they're calling the Model E's. They lost two point one billion last year. So that is uh, roughly. Let's see. That's so they've lost. So if they, if they lose four and a half this year, um, that is going to be almost the entirety of their net for. 2022 if their numbers remain consistent for the rest of the year. So they they have revenue of 45 billion dollars in the second quarter with a net of 2 just about 2 billion dollars. Okay, no. So if they if they uh if they bring in 8 billion dollars in net and they're blowing four and a half. So it's just more than half of their more than half of what they net, they're blowing out the door for these e-vehicles. And Al sent in this clip of their CEO on Fox Business. Joining me now is Ford CEO Jim Farley. So I want to start really big picture. Is Ford building electric vehicles because it wants to or it's being forced to? Do you think EVs are, are better than their internal combustion predecessors? For some vehicle, uh, some customers they are, but not for everyone. <laughs> if you're if you're pulling a fifth wheel in in Wyoming, you you probably don't want to own an electric vehicle. But if you have three cars in your household and one's for you know short distances running around town or you know a hundred two hundred mile range, it's a better car. Do you have a target date at which point Ford becomes primarily an electric vehicle maker? We think that that 50% cutoff for us will be around 2030. Look, we make a lot of big SUVs and pickup trucks. Those customers will go electric a lot later. So Ford's a real different company than a lot of other companies because we we, we have specific kinds of vehicles we make. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> that That's unlike other car companies? 
Because they have specific kinds of vehicles they make. <laughs> right. Ford, Ford's totally different, you see, because we have vehicles. I never heard of a Toyota Civic. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, there's Honda Civic. Honda Civic, because yes. Honda, because Honda makes vehicles that are specifically different than the other vehicles. Yeah, you're right. Toyota is not le- licensing the Honda Civic. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> We, we have specific kinds of vehicles we make, and those kinds of vehicles, we think the internal combustion engine actually is going to grow at Ford for the next couple of years. That is them waving a white flag. Yeah. That's, that, they snuck in a little bit of truth at the, at the end of that comment. Now, except, and, and, what's that? By, except by 2030, they're going to be half electric. Good luck. Good luck. Uh, and I, you know, I my uh, my father-in-law got an electric car. Okay, what and kind? And I don't know. It's just some kind of lightning bolt or something on the front of it. Oh, so um, a Chevy Bolt, maybe. Yeah, that's it. Okay. And I I didn't know this, but we went. Uh, our family went up to uh, the Oshkosh, some kind of air show. There's a big, giant Oh, the recent one where there was the crash? Yeah, there was. We weren't there for the crash. Uh, there happened to be... I, I, look up the Oshkosh air show crash. It seems like there's a lot of crashes. Like every year, there's some sort of plane crashing going on at this air show. Hmm. Um, anyways, it was like 187 degrees. When we went to the air show last week, you were and, under a heat dome. Yeah, we drove up there. Well, my father-in-law wanted to drive by himself because he's all into like he likes the science behind the electric vehicle and how it works, and you know it's really great technology and all this stuff like that. So he likes to see how far he can go in his electric vehicle before it has to get charged up and stuff like that. Like he's always, he like gives him something to test out. He likes to test things. Uh, he's a really cool guy. He comes over, he tests our internet speed, see how it's doing. You know, like he likes to test things mm-hmm. out like that. So he was testing out his uh, electric vehicle. So executive producer, Ann told me today, <laughs> he didn't use his air conditioning the whole way driving up there. Uh. <laughs> it's like 190 degrees outside, oh. but he couldn't run the air conditioner because the battery would have died. Oh, he must have been, he must have been on fire. Uh. <laughs> it wow. just makes me laugh about these cars, you know, like I'll keep my uh, combustion engine and. I'll stay cool in the right. air conditioning. Well, and you had, do you still have a pickup truck? Yes. You do. And you use it. I do. What? What do you do with it? Do you just drive around? Do you, do you go to Starbucks in it? <clears throat> uh, usually Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I do like a two hour drive through town. I just drive around the <laughs> plaza, <laughs> just, just doing laps. Saying hi and to at, people. At the, right. And at each stoplight, there was just only one, but at the stoplight, <laughs> I usually rev the engine as hard as I can 
for a couple minutes till it turns green. Then I go around again, and then I go somewhere else, and I I just burn as much fuel as I possibly can. <laughs> well, okay, but in reality, though, are you using no, your in pickup reality, truck as I a pickup use truck? My, I use my pickup truck as a tool. It, like you, do you haul so, things in it? Do you? What do you do? Right, like I might haul beekeeping equipment around in it, or construction materials if I'm doing some sort of project around the house. Uh, you, ever hit, you ever hitch? You ever hitch? You do tow? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I might tow a trailer, uh, something behind it. I have a trailer. I often uh, will pick up mulch or something for landscaping around our property or trees to plant mm-hmm. yeah well yeah, you're green, not really green things yeah you're not really in the market for uh for the ford's new uh electric vehicles now and and again as as a leader of ford i'm so excited i've never had the chance to grow like this you know 60 70 percent of our lightning customers are new to ford and never owned a pickup truck before that's because they're not using them as pickup drugs. Because you can't. They don't have any real towing power. They don't last. Yeah. They're no good. They're only good for people who are driving them around town for their groceries. Or for the same mm-hmm. reason you would drive a Tesla. Or to do laps around the town square like you do. I had a battery-operated... Uh golf cart here for a little while actually i borrowed it from my father-in-law it's great uh like to drive to the mailbox and back but a couple times i would drive out to the mailbox and i'd get like halfway back and the battery would stop just that it was dead it must be nice you know you could run out of county as your mailbox (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can run out of gas. I mean, you can always run out of gas, right? But like, you can also have somebody bring you a five-gallon, you know, uh, jug of gas if you do run out of it. But if you run out of electricity, your battery dies in one of these cars. What do you do? You're stuck. You got to get towed. Yeah, you're toast. Just like you have to be I, picked up I by somebody in a in gas the, in a gas uh, internal I combustion engine. Died vehicle. in the when the golf cart died, I had to push it all the way back up to the garage. I had to push it up the hill. And I was like, I'm never getting one of these electric cars. When a Tesla breaks down on the side of the road, what comes and picks it up? A tow truck with a gas engine. Okay, that's that's the deal. That's the fact. When you need your Tesla rescued, you're calling somebody with a with an internal combustion engine. Yeah, so it's definitely not there for yet or for a very long time. And the reason why it's all destined to fail is because none of this is happening as a result of market forces. It's all happening because of market distortions led by the government. It does. It did make me think, like maybe there is a case for some of the hybrid style engines or something like that where like at least while you're running you know you can charge your battery while you're driving you know using the vehicle ends up charging the battery and then you can use less fuel when you're able to with battery power i mean there 
That kind of makes some sense. I think there are even some very good applications for electric vehicles the way they are right now. If you don't, if you have all short travel and you don't need to haul anything, you know, it may be a good option for you if you can afford it. It's still more expensive, even with all the subsidies, it's still more expensive than uh, an internal combustion engine vehicle. And you're kidding yourself if you think you're doing it because it's saving the environment in any way. As far as I can tell, it's just as bad, if not worse, for the environment to manufacture one of these vehicles. And then uh, eventually the battery is un- unrecyclable and, and extremely toxic and has an end of life. And it, it, yeah, I mean, there's it has its own giant hand uh, handful of uh, pitfalls that accompany in it. So, you know, it's like any other technology. There's a trade-off. But you know, as with every single industry, uh, these subsidies are just market distortions, and they will not last long enough to catch up to, for the market to catch up, for actual market demand to catch up. They're going to all burn through their billions. They will subsidize it. The, the electric, the electric divisions of all of these companies will be like the WNBA is to the NBA. <laughs> That's my guess. <laughs> supported subsidized well as long as they make gas vehicles illegal anyway well that's yes then then they'll be then we'll all be happier and healthier and be fewer of us well around but ford is for you know ford in fact ford if i'm not mistaken i thought i had an article here on it ford just formed a uh a strategic relationship with a Chinese battery maker for their to partner for their E-line. Good luck with that, Ford. Mm. Let me tell you my next segment, Jeremy. Uh, you know what? I actually am going to invite families who have children listening to turn this off and listen to this when their children are not around the, the, for the next two segments, which are the, which will wrap out the show. Um, the first one we're going to do here is it's it's heavy stuff. This is the I came across a video by uh, it's put out by the Hudson Institute, their China Center, and it is a speech uh, a presentation given by Kyle Bass. And let me read his description about the speaker. Kyle Bass is a member of the China Center Advisory Board and the founder and chief investment officer of Heyman Capital Management, an investment management, uh, an investment manager of private funds focused on global event-driven opportunities. He is also the co-founder and chief executive officer of, Con- of Conservation Equity Management, an environmental sustainability private equity firm founded in 2021. I think the really important thing is where it says... He's an investment manager of a private of private funds focused on global event-driven opportunities. Okay? That's the most important part of that. He he's an expert in analyzing events before they are before they happen. He can analyze the way it looks like things are going. And what he says about China is, you know, it's chilling. It's also pretty much in line with everything we've been saying. He's he's basically saying China is 100% going to go take Taiwan. Everything they're doing indicates it. And he lays it out 
in detail. Now, he gives an hour and a half long presentation. I've distilled it down. Um, But we're going to go through it. And I would just urge people, listen. Listen very carefully. If you're doing something else while you're listening to the podcast, are you doing dishes right now? Are you surfing? Are you are you driving? <laughs> Keep driving. But if you're doing any of the other things, stop and just listen. Pay very, very close attention to what he says. This first clip is, he's talking about the the non-economic-based decisions that China is making and why. So these are all the decisions where you look at it and it doesn't make sense, except if you view it through the prism of what they're preparing to do with Taiwan. And I'm going to talk about what China's doing that actually doesn't make financial sense. If you and I were running a sovereign and we were running it to, uh, let's say, operate uh, in the highest regard of our our capital and returns on capital, uh, we would be making specific decisions. What, what I'm going to show you today is China is not making those decisions. They're making decisions that are non-economic and preparing themselves for sanctions. So in January of 2020, China updated its foreign investment law, which gave Beijing the power and ability to nationalize foreign assets investments under special circumstances, which include war. Their words, not mine. It's very important to know that they updated a law that gave Beijing the authority to just nationalize things and take them. Uh, June 2021, China issued or or passed a new counter-foreign sanctions law, which enabled Beijing to seize corporate assets and detain expat employees um, simply if the underlying condition was compliance with foreign sanctions, i.e. if the U.S. or Europe sanctioned China and the corporations of the U.S. or Europe were complying with their own sanctions, uh, China could nationalize the assets and detain uh, the people. It gives Beijing the, the legal authority to seize individuals' assets and prevent them from leaving China. The new law, coupled with the anti-espionage law, makes it virtually impossible for foreign companies to operate safely in the PRC. May 2022, uh, Xi ordered the Chinese banking system to risk assess and insulate against, quote, potential severe U.S. sanctions. Well, what would precipitate severe U.S. sanctions? We are sending our foreign policy staff there with knee pads, begging for meetings. And our meetings are just begging for more meetings. What would change the Biden administration's tact to want us to, or force us, to, to, to install or instill uh, crippling sanctions? It would, in, my, in my view, it would only be uh, a militaristic move on Taiwan. May 2022, she also ordered Chinese nationals overseas to divest their assets and repatriate foreign capital back to China. We remember how she humiliated Hu Jintao and his loyalists, removed him from the party and, ins- and installed a wartime cabinet. What the press missed in the Hu Jintao humiliation was in one day, imagine if we woke up here in America and one day you woke up and they said, Janet Yellen is gone. Um, uh, the central bank president, uh, Jerome Powell, is gone. And uh, Gary Gensler's gone. So we're going to fire the head of the SEC, the head of the Fed, um, uh, all in one day. I think you might be using a bad example. <laughs> I know you're probably sitting there like, yeah, okay. Huh, sounds good so yeah. far. Your terms are acceptable. <laughs> right. And we're going to replace them with the head of the missile unit. We're going to replace them with the head of, of nuclear munitions and then the head of um, all conventional munitions. That is removing every market technocrat 
that was responsible for China's supposed westernization and dealing with markets and replacing them with military people. So the press kind of missed that. Yeah, they sure did. I don't know if you remember, we talked about that on the show uh, when uh, Xi had, uh, what's his name, removed Zhu Jintao. Mm-hmm. Very unceremoniously. So, like an old, an elderly, revered leader who helped modernize China, and he ushered him out the door very publicly, very humiliatingly. Um, so he goes on to talk about the what's called the current account balance. I don't know if you're familiar with what the current account balance is, but he explains it, and it, it is just more illustrating of the moves that they're making, which are completely out of step if what your interest is in uh, succeeding economically. Now, the difference between trade balance and current account balance, This, for, for those of you that aren't uh, particular economists or financial people, the trade balance is one, one data series that contributes to the calculation of the current account. The current account is all financial flows in and out. So, you know, there are 450,000 Chinese students in U.S. universities in the U.S. They are paying about $62 billion a year for that. That's money leaving, right? This is money coming into China. That was money leaving. When the Chinese were, were traveling uh, prior to COVID uh, around the world and spending, they can't spend RMB anywhere. They have to spend dollars, euros, or pounds. That number was a huge number, multiple hundreds of billions. So the current account is, is kind of the net assessment. Think about the net income of the sovereign. So... The current account, I'm going to, you guys are going to think I'm maybe conspiratorial, but let me walk you through this. The current account just prior to, uh, uh, just prior to the uh, uh, COVID uh, was, as you see, trending down towards zero. That international travel number uh, on China's uh, macro level data series in the WIND database right before COVID was $420 billion. So think about this for a second. The current account was going to zero, and the primary reason was they had a big balance of trade that was positive in their favor, but allowing the Chinese population writ large to travel and spend abroad and maybe invest a little bit. Remember, they had, they had certain amounts that were allowable. That number got to be $420 billion. So at a time in which the Hong Kong protests were at their zenith, December 2019, and the time at which their current account was dangerously heading below zero for the first time, COVID arose. That was, that was really convenient for them. That, sa saved, that, that, that really saved two major existential problems for the Communist Party, Hong Kong and their current account. So if you look at the current account, boom, it went straight back up to magic, $400 billion. So again, maybe, maybe it was just a pure coincidence, but maybe it was a perfectly timed execution of something else. If you're running a positive current account, if you have more dollars coming in than going out, what you would be doing with that money is investing it in dollar-based debt uh, at the highest yields with the deepest capital markets in the world. But what are you seeing here? China's taken their treasury balance from a trillion two to 850 billion. We don't know what the new number is yet, but I would imagine that Janet Yellen's uh, uh, tour de, de appeasement recently uh, was begging them to just stop selling their treasuries. Point being is, this is a non-financial move. If you were running China, you'd be buying treasuries, not selling them, unless you're trying to sanction-proof your reserves. 
they're selling treasuries, but they're buying agency securities in Belgium. If that's the case, and that's also China betting that they can divide Europe and not have severe European sanctions when the U.S., if and when the U.S. sanctions them. And as we've seen out of Macron lately and what you're seeing out of Germany, there's not a lot of uh, solidarity in, in, uh, in, in Europe uh, as far as it relates to, to China. So they're selling. Uh, that, was a lot to, that was a lot of ground. Let me just recap. The, uh, the account balance was prior to COVID, really maybe thanks in, in large part to Trump, was tipping in our favor. It was coming down to zero, uh, which was way out of whack for what China was used to, which is at, at its height in 2008, 2009, was at 450 billion, almost 450 billion in China's favor. By the by the time COVID hits, it's almost at zero. And COVID hits and it shoots back up to 400 billion in their favor. And instead of turning around and putting it in US debt, which we're now selling at a higher premium, you can you get you get a better return on your money from us now. Uh, they're selling it to they're they're buying up debt in Europe, and that is not what you would do if you were looking for maximum return. So he goes on. Did you did you are you uh, do you feel like you're following along? Sort of. Any questions, class? No. You can go on. <laughs> All right. So now he talks about that it looks as though they are getting ready to default on all of their, all of their dollar-denominated debts. If you were Xi Jinping and you, were, you have two worlds, you have your domestic world, which is your RMB or Yuan-based world, which you control. They control everything internally. But then you have the world... They're interfaced with the outside, and this is key to understanding. They all cross-border settlements, about 85% of all cross-border settlements when China trades with the rest of the world are in dollars. Everything they do internally is in RMB or yuan. The dollar is really important to them. And so if you were Xi and you thought about the way their Chinese capital markets work, you have domestic capital markets that issue bonds and stocks and RMB, then you have domestic or Chinese companies that issue bonds and dollars. So case in point, there are about $170 billion worth of dollar bonds that the Chinese property develop, developers issued to the West. So a bunch of Western investors bought dollar bonds. They have RMB-based bonds too. But if you were China and you were about to prepare for war, you would just say, you know what, I'm just not gonna pay those dollars back. I'm gonna default on my dollar stuff and I'm going to pay my RMB stuff so that my people are okay. It's, that's the basic way to think about what they're doing here. So their offshore defaults, their dollar-based bonds, if you look at the two current categories, are 35%. So 65% of the dollar-based bonds of all the property developers in China are in default, offshore. Onshore, it's a little bit different. Right now, there are 79% of those bonds of the same companies, not default. Only 21% are in default. So if you're a Westerner holding a dollar bond, you're going to get something that rhymes with hero. 
So another dark indicator of what they seem to be preparing to do. There, it, it does look economically like they are preparing for sanctions. And why would they be preparing for sanctions? Because they're going to take Taiwan. Here he talks about the preparations they're making on the mainland. Let's move straight into the mainland preparations for war uh, and a timeline. Physical structures, um, power systems, and, and the new blood drive. March of 2023 uh, in Fujian, China's building 18 new air raid shelters, which the province announced and showcased on its website. And two days later, gone. Took it off the website, never to be seen again. So Fujian was very proud of these 18 air raid shelters. For those of you that know the geography of China, that is across the strait from Taiwan. They geo-blocked it, and we can't find it anymore, but we have screen grabs of it. Uh, March 2023, they're building the world's largest combat hospital, also geo-blocked after one day of announced uh, on a website. So if you're building 18 air raid shelters along the Fujian coast, you're building a combat hospital, this rhymes with what Putin was doing. If you remember, he moved entire groups, uh, uh, brigades of troops in October. He started building uh, and, and transferring blood banks to the border uh, December, January. He was telling you what was coming. It's happening again, and you need to, you, we need to pay attention. Um, June 2023, China staged its first ever emergency drill to ensure it can handle large-scale power outages in its eastern region. Happens to be the region right across from the Taiwan Strait. Uh, it's the first time the National Energy Administration has held an emergency drill for large-scale power outages across provinces and region. It's also the largest, most extensive, most jo targeted joint emergency power drill. Um, June 2023, millions of people have been banned from traveling by plane or train and the Communist Party announced that the reason that was is their social credit scores were too low. One way that they can increase their social credit scores, go give some blood. Well, that's super interesting. Uh, go give blood to, mm. to, to bring that social credit score up. How amazing is that? Yeah. Pretty ominous. They are also securing energy needs consistent with the potential for being under severe sanctions and being at war. China is the world's largest importer of crude oil and LNG. They import almost 12 million barrels a day of crude, 8 BCF a day of, of LNG. They use about 15 and a half billion uh, or a million barrels of oil a day. So uh, you would try to secure that kind of natural resource commitment from, let's just say, countries around the world that might not adhere to U.S. sanctions. And if you were going to do that, what would you do? Well, maybe you'd get on an airplane. And for the first time in the history of the world, a Chinese premier landed in Saudi Arabia. And maybe you'd put, try to get the Sunnis and the Shias to love each other and uh, start talking with Iran and Iraq. What do you think he just did? He just did that. He's trying to put together 12 million barrels a day. Uh, in May of 2023, China's coal imports hit 360 to 380 million tons. Uh, that compares with 290 million tons the year before and an all-time record in 2013 of 327 million tons. John, this is John Kerry's worst nightmare, right? They are going back to the dirtiest, cheapest potential fuel in the event that they're not going to be able to get that, that LNG. Uh, but it sure looks to me that, that they are securing all of, trying to secure all of their energy commitments. Uh, Chinese local governments permitted a staggering 106 gigawatts of new power new coal in 2022. That's a hundred 
large coal-fired power plants, the most since 2015, and it quadrupled over 2021. Just think about these, think about where the world's headed on an ESG front and on a climate front and Greta. I can't figure out why Greta never ends up in Beijing, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, I think we all know why she doesn't end up in Beijing. Because <laughs> they wire her her money. <laughs> she doesn't have to go collect it. He also talks about what they're doing in regards to grain reserves. And he makes a very interesting point. Listen to this. China has 20% of the world's population and they're hoarding almost 70% of the world's grain today. Now, different grains are in, in different, uh, different amounts, uh, but uh, the head of grain reserves at the National Food and, uh, Food and Strategic Reserves Administration just told reporters this last November, our wheat stockpiles can sustain China for a year and a half. That's super interesting. Why would you need to do that? Why would you need to have a wheat stockpile that lasts a year and a half in China? If you had a grain reserve, you're running a country, and your people in one of your largest cities are hanging out their windows, banging pots and pans because they're welded into their buildings, and you have a food reserve in that city, wouldn't you release the food reserve to the people that needed food? It didn't happen. The grain reserves weren't touched in Shanghai when the COVID, extreme COVID lockdowns were going on. If you're not going to release them then, then why are you holding them? Good question. Very good question. They're preparing for something else. That's why. And as if that's not, if all of that is not enough, how about just G openly telegraphing it in all of his speeches and all of his actions? In January of 2022, uh, the Communist Party's journal Kishi uh, published Xi's spe secret speech 60 days roughly after it was given. And for the first time, she himself was quoted as saying he called for the struggle against hostile forces. We all know he never names the United States uh, in these speeches, but we are deemed to be the hostile forces. I don't think we're the strategic competitor that the press writes about. October of 2022, he also ratcheted his rhetoric regarding Taiwan by changing what he views as something that authorities, oh, sorry, that authorizes China's use of force. He declared that a simple refusal of China's uh, overtures to reunify would then be grounds for an invasion. Prior to this, it was someone in, China, in, in Taiwan's cabinet uh, or presidency would have to formally declare they want to be independent. Now it's just, if you just refuse our overture, uh, we can come uh, attack. China's Taiwan Affairs Office released its first white paper in Taiwan in over 20 years. And there was something really important in there. Uh, uh, they said, that the new policy document did away with the past promises not to send troops or, quote, administrators to Taiwan if China successfully conquers the island. Definitely another uh, ominous sign. Uh, also, she states that China is now laser-focused, quote, on the reacquisition of the Taiwanese separatists. Again, his rhetoric is becoming more bellicose. Every speech he's given since 2017, he tells you what he's going to do, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse, in his words. In fact, he just recently did it the day that Janet Yellen landed in China. That day, he visited China's Eastern Military Command, and he told the people in the Eastern Military Command who oversee Taiwan to prepare for war. He was gaslighting Yellen right before she landed. Of course. I think it's pretty devastating evidence that he lays out that beyond any question, they're going to take Taiwan. And sooner rather than later. He goes in a lot more detail. Uh, I'll be posting this up to the Truthbait Twitter feed. 
Um, uh, it's worth looking at the whole thing. There's uh, w- one of the attendees asks asks the question. Well, essentially, well, what do we do? <laughs> Wall Street is so in bed with China, so beholden to China. What do we do to de-risk? The answer is devastating. How do we de-risk from China? Uh, from China, of all those Wall Street and S and P companies, considering their significant exposure. From China, we're talking about more than 15% of almost like every SMB companies being exposed to China. Um, unfortunately, again, even if you think about Biden, Biden uh, and uh, uh, especially Blinken and on the campaign trail, he specifically said many times uh, in the public domain that we will, we meaning the United States, will never trade human rights for a trade deal with China. But what did we just do? You know, we just we just went over there, hat in hand begging for meetings in the various disciplines. And we didn't mention human rights. We don't care. We care about economics and it's Wall Street driving this, this, uh, uh, this movement. So, you know, I always say in our firm, um, if our national security and our values were left up to Wall Street uh, and, and the private sector, we'll all be speaking Chinese tomorrow. There's this chasm between Wall Street and S&P and the director of national intelligence giving you the data saying they are the largest threat to our way of life, to our values, and to our system, and to the security of our country. And yet we can't wait to raise more money for an IPO that will help them uh, uh, genetically modify their food so that they can have a bigger reserve to attack us with. It's, in, it's actually insane. So there's no answer other than if and when this happens, the people that lose the money, that lose what you know, what they have invested in China, whether it's PP&E on the corporate level or whether it's uh, money uh, invested from U.S. institutions in their equity markets and their private equity world, they're going to lose it all, in my opinion. That, that day is coming. And those people deserve to lose it all, and they deserve to lose their jobs. That's trillions of dollars. <laughs> trillions of dollars that are going to evaporate. In World War II, a similar thing happened where the... The all of these uh, American multinational corps that were doing business with Germany, they all had to divest themselves of their German assets, and uh, uh, the U.S. government reimbursed them all for their assets. Of course, in the ultimate act of double dealing, uh, companies like uh, IBM and General Motors, they uh, <laughs> they took the reimbursement for their assets, which they then repatriated those assets and all of the wartime profits from their German operations at the end of the war. So they, they ended up getting both. Um, yeah, So, but I don't think the American government has the ability to write checks to all of these companies that are going to be losing their butts when this happens. There's going to be a big push from Wall Street not to sanction China when they take Taiwan. And I think with Biden in place, that may very well be what happens. Or with any Democrat in place. My last clip from this is he talks about... So there's something called... I'd never heard of this. uh, The Wind Information Company. W-I-N-D. Wind Information Company. And it was a Hong Kong-based... It's a Hong Kong-based company, which Hong Kong is part of China. So it's a Chinese-based company. It's essentially the, the Bloomberg of China. So Bloomberg News, all the different entities of Bloomberg. Bloomberg is a huge data company. 
Um, and they sell that data. And this is what Wynn does the exact same thing, only it's out of China. And much like the media missed it when uh, when Xi uh, ushered out Zhu Jintao and, and, and replaced all of those uh, finance ministers with military people, the media seems to have missed this, even though it happened directly to them. They just didn't report it very much. How many of you in here use any of the China data series like Wind or any of these, any, like, like the Bloombergs of China? At our firm, you know, we use Wind um, at all the research universities in the U.S. They use Wind. It is an, a data aggregator of both uh, macro-level data and corporate-level data. About three, four months ago, severed. It's gone. No more data series. You're not allowed to have it. The data that we're getting out of China now is from the mainland, approved by Xi Jinping, to be released in a press release. There's no more databases. Stanford doesn't have it anymore. Harvard doesn't have it anymore. All of the universities that are actually partners with China in many ways and receive a lot of Chinese donations have been severed. It would be different if it was just me that got severed, uh, but it was everybody. And they all remained quite silent about it because they're all still getting money from China. I Get ready, folks. This is coming, and it is going to be the next Cold War. It's going to kick off with this, and we're going to lose Taiwan. It's gone. This is coming. It's got to start before the election, don't you think? Well, he he mentioned that he thought that their earliest window would be this August, which is right now. Um, I think the next possible window is April, next April. Um, again, he it's he made there was a lot of other interesting stuff in here. I, I highly recommend going and and checking it out. It'll be up on our Twitter feed by the time you get this. If I can remember, we'll put it up on the show notes as well. Um, Why did you say kids shouldn't listen to that? Well, because it's. Cold War, <laughs> possibly the start of World War III. Uh, it's some pretty dark stuff. Really, though, Jeremy, it's for the next segment because I'm going to talk about Barbie. <laughs> Barbie oh. is not kid-friendly, okay? <laughs> At all. <laughs> Barbie is not kid-friendly. Barbie is PG-13, and so is this segment. Are you going to go see Barbie? You really... You really went and saw that movie? Yes, I did. I did it for the show, Jeremy. I, I am not going to go see that movie. That's okay. We don't have to both go. That's why there's two of us. Yes. You went to see... What was the movie you went to go see recently? Essential Church. Essential Church. Essential I have not seen Church. that one yet. Although I hope to get to that this week. Maybe I can get to that tomorrow. Uh, while it's in theaters. That's where I want to see it. In theaters. Um... Although it's not going to last after this week, it'll be good. it'll be out of theaters by this. There's no way is it getting held <laughs> yeah. over for next weekend. Um, no chance. Uh, so, um, yeah, Barbie is. <sighs> it's a complicated film. It's not a good film. <laughs> okay, wait, wait. Let me start this segment by saying I think everybody should go see it in the theaters. I think it's an important <laughs> film, and everybody should go see it in the theaters. Don't take your children to this movie, though. This is not a kid's movie. And I think that it's a bit, you know, while it has a PG-13 rating, I don't even, I wouldn't take a 13-year-old to it. Not a 13-year-old girl. I wouldn't take any young girl to this. Um, it's a very disturbing message. It's also very profane. They use 
uh, a lot of vulgarity. The, the main theme song has, uh, uh, you know, the name of a female dog. It has that word in the song, mm-hmm. in the theme song that plays for the whole theater. One of the main characters uses uh, uh, MF, uh, Mother Effer, uh, I think was the mm. line that she drops in the middle of one of her songs. Uh, there are, there are uh, double entendres that are barely double entendre. They're, they're, it's so blatant. Uh, you know, jokes about masturbation. I won't say what they were, because I know you don't like that sort of thing. And I know some of our audience members don't like that sort of thing. We're going to keep it clean. But yeah, that was all That was all going on. Uh, it was shocking that, that, that this would at all be marketed at, as a kid's film. There just were... The, it's, even in Hollywood, they, couldn't, they would not dare give this a PG-rated rating. It's a PG-13. So really, it felt to me more like it was for you know, older women who had played with Barbie. I feel like that's who this film was actually speaking to. But of course, they couldn't just market it that way because there's more money in marketing it to kids. Uh, Ben Shapiro did a 45-minute video, a a 45-minute dissection and takedown of this film. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do forty-five minutes on this. I am going. To, I did clip some of Ben though because you're, he, you're not going to play Ben Shapiro I for am, forty-five no, minutes. Are you? No, no, ah. no, 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 no. But I am going to play some Ben Shapiro because he got he got oh, some of this I right. Some of this he got right, and I'm going to and I use it to I can't stand yeah. his voice. I want you to know I did not speed this up. It's going to sound like I sped him up. I did not speed him up. I was tempted to slow him down, except we, you, then we'd be listening could you longer. Slow it down. <laughs> if we slowed it down, we'd be listening to him longer. I'm not doing that. It's a trade-off, Jeremy. <laughs> Here, uh, if you're listening, to, if he's going too fast for you, slow down your playback. All right. When you're listening to the when you're listening to the show through your favorite podcast app. From the beginning, you know what this movie is going to be, and it's going to be a very cynical take on what Barbie is, which is so weird. I don't know why Mattel would turn over its IP to filmmakers who clearly hate the IP. It's as though you were going to make Toy Story, except that toys are all evil. They're all bad, and you're supposed to hate them, and you should burn them. Because that's kind of the message of the film, is that the Barbies are bad for the world. Okay, basic sort of premise of the film, politically speaking, is that men and women are on two sides of the divide, and they, and they hate each other. And literally the only way you can have a happy world is if the women ignore the men and the men ignore the women. So I clipped that because he's, he's right. That is exactly what the film conveys, <laughs> that men and women need to be separate. That's the only. That's their only key to happiness. Uh, and so, yeah, I just I'll give you. A, I'm going to give you my. Uh, I'm going to take you through the plot points of the film, so you understand what we're talking about here. Barbie, in the film, Barbie's she's living her best Barbie life in her perfect Barbie world. When suddenly things start to go a little weird, she starts to take on human traits and she starts to have an existential crisis. She can't stop thinking about death. And this is like completely antithetical to everything going on inside Barbie world where it is like a beach party all the time. Life is perfect there. And all of a sudden in the middle of a dance, she's like, you know, do you ever think about death? And it's like, Err! you know, the whole thing. <laughs> everything comes to a, scre- a screeching halt. Uh, so she's thinking about death. She starts to get cellulite, and her feet stop working correctly. In the, you know, I don't know. If, do you remember? You used to play with Barbie, right, Jeremy? 
All the time. And you remember from your Barbie dolls, the way that they, they're always up on tiptoes. They, they, they're up on, they're in high heels. You take them out of the high heels, but they are still on tiptoes. Their feet are permanently on their tiptoes to accommodate the high heels. And her toes start to, her feet go flat. And this is a big trauma. She's basically becoming human. She's taking on human characteristics. And Barbie land is filled with all kinds of Barbies, all kinds of Barbies, all kinds of Kens, all the different playhouses, all the accessories that Mattel ever sold. Um, And the protagonist of this particular story is Ordinary Barbie. Okay, so like basically like generic Barbie. Now I looked into it. Mattel never put out an ordinary Barbie, but there is. It's like she, she's like plain Barbie. She's not Doctor Barbie. She's not uh, astronaut Barbie. She's just regular Barbie. She's ordinary Barbie. And ordinary Barbie goes to consult with Weird Barbie because Weird Barbie is known as you know some kind of an oracle when it comes to these kinds of things. Weird Barbie, they call her Weird Barbie because like she, she too has taken on all these weird characteristics because of what her human has done to her. And uh, you know, she like her hair is cut weird. She's got marker all over her face. She's like, her legs are bent in a weird way. She's Weird Barbie. And Weird Barbie tells her that Barbies in Barbie land take on the characteristics of the humans who play with them. And her human must be sad because if Barbie wants to be normal again, she has to go to the real world and and find her human uh, and help her. So that's that like that's the that's the main gist of the of the plot. But ordinary Barbie has to travel to the real world and find her child that's playing with her and and make her feel better. Um so she goes, and Ken tags along. Now, Ken, let me frame this for you. Ken is a loser. Ken's, uh, the Kens are losers, and, and, the, and the protagonist, Ken, is, a, is the loserist of them all. Um, he's completely obsessed with Barbie, he, who is constantly rejecting him, and, and, he, and she's constantly rejecting him for the other girls. It's always, it's, you know, he's, he has to leave because it's girls' night. It's always girls' night, which means he can't sleep over because the girls are sleeping over. So t- just an absolute obvious, you know, homosexual reference. She's gay. and She's got no use for him. <laughs> and he seems gay, but he's just completely just fawning all over her. He's, he's completely obsessed with her. Uh, and, uh, and, and because she's always rejecting him, he's, he's just always brooding. He's incessantly brooding. And this is totally out of step with the original IP, which, uh, Ben Shapiro is absolutely right about the, in the, uh, in the intellectual property of Ken and Barbie, their boyfriend and girlfriend, they don't, she doesn't hate it. She doesn't, she doesn't, she's not disinterested in him. They're together. Yeah, isn't he a isn't he a stud? I guess I, I, I suppose so. Right, I guess he's an object of affection. I mean, for I, girls, reme- right? I, I remember my Barbies or my Ken. <laughs> yes. had like a ripped chest and like yes, like a stud. You know? You're right. Yeah, yeah. well, he was beach beach Ken, which is what Ken in this movie was. He was beach Ken, and he did. But like, I didn't. He, I really didn't have Barbies. But my sister did. No, so you definitely you to, no. They were totally not yours. That's fine. No. Um, yeah. The uh, and the ones you have now are your daughters. 
I would bet you don't have a no. Barbie doll within a mile of your house. <laughs> uh, if I walk into somebody's house with my family and they have Barbies in their house, we walk out. <laughs> you just turn around, you turn and walk out. <laughs> yep. Feet don't fail me now. <laughs> uh, so, um, so yeah, again, I just I thought that Ben was right. It, it may, he makes a good point. Why do they give their IP over to people who who seem to just hate their IP or just abuse their IP this way? What what's in it for Mattel? Um, and uh, anyway, when they get so they get to the real world, and Barbie's shocked to find that women aren't in control because you know she's in Barbie land. She thinks women control everything, right? But you know she knows about the real world, and she's been living under this. The, everyone in Barbie land lives under this impression that. Their existence has healed the real world. That it's helped them, you know, uh, set an example for what women can be, what girls can be in the real world. And so the real world must be fantastic. And she gets to the real world, and she's shocked to find that women are not in control, and that men are all sexist pigs. Okay, and they they portray the. Uh, the patriarchy, the, the the way women are treated, it's so over the top uh, that they 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 accidentally it betray they betray the, the they they accidentally expose the fact that they that we don't currently live under a patriarchy. <laughs> they basically they have to fake it so hard, they have to exaggerate it so hard. You're just you're left with the impression with well, if it actually is true, why would you have to exaggerate it? <laughs> why would you? It doesn't make any sense. But, but Ken, in the real world, he discovers that there's this patriarch and he's just drunk on power. Okay. Finally, he's living somewhere. He's he's somewhere where men aren't losers, and it opens up his eyes. He's like, "Oh my gosh, men don't have to be losers!" Ah, oh, he's so excited. He immediately he leaves Barbie there in the real world. He immediately goes back to Barbie Land to install the patriarchy. Okay, so that's the drama. Um, and Ken, so yeah, he goes back and he takes it over. He installs the patriarchy and all the women become stupid and subservient. And here's, here's Ben again. The point of the film is the matriarchy is amazing. Women are amazing at everything. Ken walks in and within two seconds, he has taken over all of Barbie land <laughs> and he has turned it into the Kendom within, within two seconds. which apparently the women are so unbelievably competent and brilliant and great at everything over in Barbie land that. An idiot man walks in and takes over the whole place inside of two seconds. Fine. So he takes over the entire place. We later learn that's because the women, they didn't know what was coming. They, 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 it, it's, we later learn they didn't have immunity. And the way that they get immunity is by learning to hate the men. That you got. That's the way that they have to learn to hate men. <laughs> so yeah, Ken goes back to Barbie land. And before Barbie gets a chance to return five scenes later, Ken has transformed Barbie land into Kendom. <laughs> And it is just the, it is raw patriarchy. Like I said, all the women are stupid. They're all subservient. And Ben again makes a great point. Gee, women are so strong, but they, they like Ken is there for two seconds and converts it all to a patriarchy. They're, <laughs> the women are immediately in a spell. They, they, they're, they have to be deep. They have to be deprogrammed. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then America Ferrera is trying to explain to Barbie what exactly is going on. America Ferrera, he says that too fast. That's the, she plays the 
So the, she, Barbie goes to find the human being. She finds the, the girl. She's a teenage girl. And it turns out it's not the teenage girl that's playing with her. It's the teenage girl's mother who's playing with her. <laughs> okay. And that's played by America Ferreira. And she's like, it's just like the indigenous people and smallpox. They had no immunity. So they, 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 the ladies in Barbie land had no immunity. It's the magic of the patriarchy, the magic. The women were seduced into... So just to point out here, the actual argument the movie is making is that if women enjoy men, it's because they have been brainwashed by the patriarchy. They make this message explicit in just a few minutes in the film. We end up with Barbie complaining. She's complaining to weird Barbie. And she says, oh my God, they've brainwashed all the other Barbies. They've brainwashed all the other Barbies. She says, quote, either you're brainwashed or you're weird and ugly. There is no in-between. And Weird Barbie says, tell me about it. And this is the perspective of the film. Either you're a third wave feminist kook who hates men, like truly hates men, or you are brainwashed. Yep. That, that pretty much sums it up. So the women are under the spell and the way that they, the way that they cure the women is first they get the women away from the men and then they intellectually deconstruct the patriarchy. <laughs> okay. In other words, they apply critical gender theory. Critical gender theory is the hero of the movie, Jeremy. The, they, they, the, the, the human adult woman who her, her and her daughter end up back in Barbie land. <laughs> That's, and she is the one who lets them know that the way that they fix this is to deconstruct the situation. And she gives this speech that is so, imp so important, Jeremy. It is so important. People have, have recorded it and posted it to YouTube. It's taking on a cult level of importance. Here it is. It is literally impossible to be a woman. You are so beautiful and so smart, and it kills me that you don't think you're good enough. Like, we have to always be extraordinary, but somehow we're always doing it wrong. <laughs> You have to be thin, but not too thin. And you can never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but also you have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's gross. You have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. You have to be a career woman, but also always be looking out for other people. You have to answer for men's bad behavior, which is insane, but if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten other women because you're supposed to be a part of the sisterhood, but always stand out and always be grateful. But never forget that the system is rigged, so find a way to acknowledge that, but also always be grateful. You have to never get old. Never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard. It's too contradictory. And nobody gives you a medal or says, thank you. And it turns out, in fact, that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. I'm just so tired of watching myself and every single other woman tie herself into knots so that people will like us. And after she delivers that speech, 
one of the other Barbies suddenly comes to one of the Barbies that's in the in the vicinity suddenly comes to, snaps out of her trance, and that's how they realize oh, we just need to make sure that all the other Barbies know, and then they'll snap out of their trance too. I have, and this was the last bit of her speech. It just isn't fair. <laughs> so, I, you know. I couldn't help but listen to this, and I'm thinking to myself, who doesn't feel this way? Never listen. Get old. Never be rude. Never be rude. Never show off. Never, show never off. be selfish. Never, never be selfish. Never fail. Never show fear. Never show fear. First of all, they accuse men of not showing emotion and not showing their fear. This is this is universal. This could be applied to anybody. This is not special to women. Never get out of line. It's too hard. It's too contradictory. And nobody gives you a medal. Yeah, nobody's giving men a medal either. <laughs> um, but that was the that w- critical race theory saves the day. The matriarchy is reestablished. And Ken, who is now really sad because he's lost his power. And all he wanted in the first place was just to be treated decently by Barbie. Is he treated decently at the end by Barbie? Of course he isn't. That would be silly. At the very end, he is told that he needs to learn to live without Barbie. I just don't know who I am without you. You're Ken. But it's Barbie and Ken. There is no just Ken. He, who was literally created as a doll to be with Barbie, he needs to learn to be apart from Barbie and she needs to learn to be apart from him because atomistic isolation and loneliness is the best way to find fulfillment, ladies and gentlemen. It'll be best for Ken if he never sees Barbie again. It'll be better for Barbie if she never sees Ken again. Secular humanism is at its finest. We've reached the apotheosis. Men and women don't belong together. They belong very, very much apart. Yeah, a very dystopian message from this film. And in the end, this is what's amazing. (laughs) So... Barbie, with her human companion, deconstruct using uh, critical gender theory. <laughs> they, they deconstruct the patriarchy. What does Barbie do? <laughs> she decides she wants to go back and live in the real world. <laughs> she, and this is where I actually, this is where I begin to think that the film is actually maybe, it's, it's maybe very subversive, but not the way people think. Because Barbie, it turns out, she spent too much time in the real world. That was the patriarchy and was terrible. So terrible that she wanted to stop it from happening in Barbie land. But now she wants to go back there because she actually learned some feelings over in, over in the real world. So she decides that after all, this whole story was just Pinocchio, that she just wants to be a real boy. So Barbie is now sent back to the real world. And she is now going to experience the apotheosis of what it means to be a human woman. So we've learned early on in the movie, when she goes to the real world, she's catcalled by a bunch of the construction guys. And she says, I don't have a vagina. And she, again, amazing line for your, for your seven-year-old girl. She'll love it. So apparently, when she has turned into a real woman, she has now grown a vagina. So the first thing that she does is she goes to the gynecologist. Because ladies, the apotheosis of your being is not motherhood. We, we got rid of that at the very beginning. And it's not being a wife or a partner because women are supposed to be apart from men. It is your vagina. It is that you go to the gynecologist. Ladies, this is what makes you the most human you can be is that you go to the gynecologist. Now, I could point out here that that's really transphobic, that according to the same people who made this movie, not all women have vaginas, and not all people with penises are men. And that's a very good point. 
It's a transphobic ending that they slap onto this thing. And, you know, I guess I said maybe this film is subversive. I'm not even so sure it's subversive as much as I feel like it's, it's more than one film. Uh, I think they may have made this entire, like, hardcore feminist screed, and then executives came in and said, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 you're not leaving it like this. <laughs> and they, they slapped on this thing at the end, where she, and they, and they sold it to them as, hey, she's transitioning, because she does, this is a, this is like a trans moment. She transitions, and how does she transition? She has a vagina now. Okay, so that's like, you know, oh, you can, yeah, you can transition. All you have to do is just go through the steps and you transition. And now you're in your real world. But defining it that way, that, that basically they reinforce the idea. Girls have, girls have vaginas, boys have penises, which is a very anti-trans message. And it's ironic too because this film had a trans a trans character, a trans Barbie, which uh, undermines the entire narrative of the film. But let's not even get into that because <laughs> I don't want to get into that. <laughs> I'm just more interested in where it, they're using Marxism, the the critical gender theory again is the hero of the movie, not Barbie. Critical gender theory. Let me just digress briefly here in how women actually achieved power. This is great. I mean, I included this because this is such a good point. You're going to actually like this, Jeremy. Let me just digress briefly here in how women actually achieved power in Western civilization. The answer is that they lobbied men and men gave it to them. <laughs> that is the actual answer as to how women achieve power in Western civilization. The amendment to the Constitution that allowed women to vote was passed solely by men because women couldn't vote. It turns out there are a lot of good-hearted men out there who like women and who want women to be able to live lives that they want. It turns out that many of us, our husbands and fathers, many of us have daughters. Many of us love the people we're married to. It turns out that that actually describes a huge number of Western men, that we are not your enemies. And yet the entire premise of the movie is that what actually happened in the feminist movement is that women seized the power away from the men. I'm sorry to break it to you, ladies. It ain't true. And last clip from him... Uh, he makes this prediction. That's why you're seeing everybody wearing pink to the theaters. It's become like a Star Wars kind of thing, right? It's an actual cosplay of it. The number of moms who are going to take their daughters back to the theater week two, good luck with that. Really, good luck with that. So he predicts a week two fall off. <sighs> and regrettably, he's already wrong. From Al uh, in Joliet, Big Al sends this. Barbie keeps dominating in second weekend. Barbie took in a massive $93 million in its second weekend, according to studio estimates on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, it, it, I have to tell you, most people that I'm talking to love the film. Their kids love the film. They love the film. Love, love, love the film. Because they just they're not... They're not paying attention. They don't realize. They don't realize what they're watching. Um, that's uh, that's sad. Sound of Freedom did another twelve point four million. About, uh, so. I know I don't have to worry about executive producer Anne going out to see Barbie. Well, like I said, I would not take kids. Uh, if you are offended by 
crass jokes, vulgar humor, I would, I, you can take a pass. Uh, if those things don't bother you, I highly recommend going to see it because it is actually an important film insofar as understanding uh, the state of our current culture and our cultural narrative. And that is what our show is about. Our program is about the cultural narrative. Um, and so that's why I went. producer Ann goes to see the movie, I'm going to club her over the head and drag her by the hair and lock her up in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be difficult for her to vote from there. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, but, you, but apparently you don't mind if I see it. If I'm corrupted, you don't care. <laughs> I do mind that you saw it. I'm worried that your brain has been spoiled forever after that. Okay. Just some, you're just not feeling the effects yet. <laughs> this is the best thing that came out of it, Jeremy. <laughs> this clip came out of a theater. I don't know where this is. Um, this is unbelievable. This happened at the end of one of the showings of Barbie. Uh, in this clip, I'm, d- I'm going to describe it to you because it's going to be hard for via listening to understand what's happening. But the credits are rolling and there are people standing. There's a couple of people standing in the aisle and s- several people have their phones out and are recording. <laughs> and some words are being... Oh no! Two women are throwing punches at each other! Oh, a fight is broken out in the theater. Two women, two Barbie moms are fighting each other, and along comes a man to sit, to get in between. The patriarchy comes to divide them. <laughs> Gets into the way of these two women who could have worked it out without the man inserting himself into their catfight. <laughs> I mean, can you can you script that any better? This film, which is a, a a treatise, an argument for women not putting each other down and coming together as a team to 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 take to dislodge the patriarchy, and there they are throwing down in the theater, and a man has to come break them up. Uh, that's poetry in motion, my friend. Poetry in motion. Ah. <laughs> uh. Barbie, ladies and gentlemen, go see it. Go see it in the theaters. Buy popcorn. I'm going to eat popcorn at home and watch uh, more indictments. <laughs> okay. Go pick, go to the theater, pick up popcorn, take it home, watch the indictments. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jeremy Siegel, for your time and your brains, your intellect, your perspective. Your truth, bringing your truth to the podcast, sharing it with our producers. Thank you to our producers. Very productive. Uh, suspect number 68 and whereabouts unknown. And Al and Joliet, uh, thank you very much for your contributions. That's what makes the show. You are our producers. You send us content, it ends up in the show. Don't forget to share the show and write us at truth at truthbait.com. And share oh, yes. the show. That's share right. The share show. the show. And uh, don't forget to tune in every single Tuesday and Friday. We bring you two episodes a week without fail. To the best of our ability, this was episode 
46 or 47? 46. We're getting close. Close to, to the big five zero. The big five zero. Would that be? We should have a we should have a party or something like a six month birthday party or a fiftieth birthday party. I'm just doing the math. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound better if we're fifty. Although I am in my fifties, so I don't know. Then you know how to throw one of those parties. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you very much. And now back into the sea of clickbait with us all.